The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Thirty-first, we will be out of the EU, free to chart our own course as a sovereign nation, taking back control of our money, our laws, our borders, and our trade. We are ready to move to the next phase in our relationship. We want our future relationship to be as close as possible, in full respect of our principles. We don't yet know what sort of a Brexit we'll get. We don't yet know whether it's going to be a roaring success or a horrible failure. And five years down the line, when we next have a general election, those issues are then possibly going to come back. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. Good afternoon, I'm Roger Hearing, and it's Brexit Day. It is. After all of that wrangling, three and a half years, sometimes we said we'd never get there, and here we are, just a few hours away at time of recording, at time of broadcast, from the official date of Brexit. Now, I can even remember the 47 years ago when we joined. Tell me about that time. How did it feel? Well, what can I tell you? The uh, you know the horses and carts in the street, obviously, and the the, the, the throng of empire. And no, I don't know much about it. It was the seventies. It was quite grim. Was there any optimism around it? Well, I think it was more reluctant acceptance because the uh, the economics of the of Britain at the time was pretty bad generally. Lots of strikes. Lots of a sense that it wasn't really going anywhere. Lost an empire. Not yet found a role. And uh, a sense that this was the only way forward. Reluctantly, we had to get past uh, the original French non before we were allowed to go in. Mm. And when we finally were, there was, of course, another referendum then. We forget that. There yeah. was a referendum held by Harold Wilson after he became Prime Minister to re-establish. And he, and indeed, Margaret Thatcher com- campaigned that we should stay in. So, anyway, a strange time, 47 years ago. And three years ago, we all remember 2016. The work of Brexit, however, is far from over. Next comes the UK's future trading relationship with the EU. And from signals in both Westminster and Brussels, that, of course, may be even more contentious than the divorce agreement itself. But let's hear from the Brexit party leader, Nigel Farage, who is, for one, delighted to be leaving. For us, it's the biggest change since Henry VIII left the Church of Rome. We're now leaving the Treaty of Rome. But this this European Union, as it is, will not survive Brexit. And that, I'm entirely confident. Uh, the usual emotion and rhetoric from the man. But of course, there are, as ever, two sides to the argument. If you ask former Liberal Democrat leader Vince Cable... Brexit may not be a forever solution. This is interesting. He spoke to Bloomberg Radio earlier on and suggested that the UK could be back in the union if none of the economic benefits touted by Brexiteers come to fruition. If after five to ten years we haven't realised the benefits that, that the Brexiteers promised and the doubling of the growth rate and things of that kind, and particularly the people in the beleaguered communities in the north of England don't feel any tangible benefits, I think the whole question will start to be reopened. Uh, a younger generation will want to reform closer relationship with the European Union, assuming Europe is still flourishing. This is very much the question that some people are starting to talk about now. We mentioned it to Seb Dance, who is, uh, as, as of today, still a Labour MEP. Um, he wasn't ruling out a rejoin either, but I feel like it's going to take a little bit of time until the momentum builds. We've got to see how this plays out first. It does seem that that's going to be a, a far-off notion. I think the problem is that unless or until really there's a, a revamping of the whole political 
environment in Britain, any talk of that kind is going to be dead, not least because I think people just want to forget about the whole idea. Yeah. The whole idea of in or out or anything else, just we are where we are, let's try and make the best. And what will be really interesting is to see how the government's strategy of doing that plays out, because of course from tomorrow, after the celebrations that they attend today, the word Brexit is going to disappear, well, uh, so we're told. And they're going to try and put this behind us. Brexit is done is going to be the message from the government. So anyway, let's bring in uh, somebody who has been at the heart of this process uh, throughout the, the three years since the uh, the referendum. I'm delighted to say we're joined now by former Conservative MP Nicholas Soames. Thank you very much for joining us. Good afternoon. Well, let's bring you in on this issue about a rejoin movement. Do you see any momentum building around that anytime soon? No serious momentum at all. And anyone who is interested in our country having made this um, decision uh, now being a matter of fact in that we are leaving the European Union who starts thinking now about rejoining it once their head is examined. Um, what we have to do now is to make it work and to um, accept the decision of the of the referendum and, and the legislation is now to Parliament. We leave tonight um, and I think it's a, a regrettable fact but we do leave tonight and we must now make it work for the very best for our country and all our people. Okay, now, what sort of deal, though, do you think? Because a lot of the success or otherwise of this depends on the next 12 months or so in sorting out some kind of deal that works both for the EU and the UK and doesn't offend people by being too close to the EU, doesn't offend the EU by being too far away from them. Do you think there is a capability of reaching that deal in the time available? Um, I I have no idea. Um, uh, We live in a world where everyone who's always offended by something, um, uh, we, we have to reach a deal that we is, and the deal means a negotiation, and negotiation means compromise and getting a result. Uh, and I'm interested in the talk this morning that we may be looking at the Canada deal. Um, I, have no, I have no specific idea. I think it's going to be extremely difficult to get there. But there is no doubt in the commitment of the government, the prime minister, and all those involved in trying to do this. And I think at the end of the day, it will achieve a momentum which is almost unstoppable and I hope we get the best possible deal we can. And Boris Johnson clearly still enjoying some form of a honeymoon period. Um, do you expect that to last in terms of compliance from your former colleagues in the Conservative Party? I'm thinking particularly about the ERG who was such a force last time. Um, we don't know quite how many of them there are but the last photos seem to indicate that near, near enough to 40 which would be uh, some sort of a notable force if they were to rebel. Look, look I realise this is all sort of grist to um, a, a journalist mill, but everyone, as far as I know in the Conservative Party, now wants this to go ahead and work. Uh, and the ERG um, understand very well that we have to make it work to the best, in the best possible way. Nobody is going to end up liking this at the end of the day. It, it's going to be, I hope, a very a good uh, deal for Britain, but it will be a deal which everyone is going to have to compromise. So quite what it's going to look like, I don't know. And I'm quite sure the Prime Minister will have substantial support in the House of Commons for a good deal. And that's what they're trying to get. It must look quite strange in a way to you, looking at what's going on now, looking back over the last 12 months or so, uh, in which you, uh, a number of your colleagues, very senior members of the Conservative Party, were forced into a position of being called traitors by some within your own party. Uh, There was an awful lot of of push, an awful lot of of vitriol being flung around, and now we've reached this stage. Do you look back and think, well, that was all a waste of time? No, I don't think it was a waste of time at all. We, We did what we thought was right at the time, because we thought what was going to happen 
essentially the 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 main um, uh, disagreement that I had with the prime minister was not uh, anything to do with the, the the verdict. It was to do with the fact that they were not negotiating, in, my, in our judgment, in a way that was going to lead to a deal. And I wouldn't stand for or ever support a no deal. And that applied to 21 other members who voted with us. Um, and um, that does look like a long time ago now. The deal has been done, it's signed, and we leave tonight, as to that extent it is. But no, I don't think it was wasted. I think we, I think it's not for us to say we did the right thing. I think history will say that one way or the other. But at least we were assured that there was not going to be a no deal. And are you at all worried about the risk of a no deal at the end of this year? Well, I'm, I'm not actually worried about it. But I, I mean, you know, I don't wake up in the middle of the night sweating about it. But I... There is a danger, but I don't think it's likely at all. I think nobody wants no deal. The Europeans don't want no deal. We don't want no deal. We, everyone knows now we're saying we're in completely different territory now, completely different territory. We actually leave the European Union tonight. So uh, I, I think we're now into the not the sort of fantasy world of what might or might not happen. We're into hard negotiation um, with, I hope, willing buyers and willing sellers. And has there been a general uh, healing of wounds, would you say? Because as I said before, there was a lot of vitriol in the last parliament uh, involving yourself and members of the Conservative Party who vehemently disagreed with you. I mean, you're a member of the party, I assume. Have you been welcomed back? How has it worked for you? Well, I was reinstated by the Prime Minister before the general election. Um, So I've had no quarrel at all with members of my party. You know, it, 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 it was a rough time, but... These are big issues and, and big principles were at stake. And um, but that's behind us now, you know. All and, hatchets and buried, no no bad feelings as far as you know. No, come on, this is a ludicrous line of conversation. I said to you, it's all changed now. We've I... signed an agreement, we are leaving the European Union, and I don't know anyone of my contemporaries who doesn't now want the government to have a good get a good deal and to get it all work. And I think it is a time, frankly, when even those of us who believe that it's a mistake in the long run. It is a time to look forward and to be optimistic and for some big issues around which we can all unite. And that's certainly the case with the Tory party. But I'm sure you go. I understand your point about this being incredibly important moment for Brexiteers to get the sort of Brexit they want. What I don't understand is why they have an incentive to unify because they have such clear views of what they want Brexit to be, what they want this country to look like, and they don't all necessarily stack up with each other. Well, you're wrong because the Brexiteers have one fundamental requirement, which is that we leave the European Union. That is happening tonight. Uh, They're all grown-up people with constituencies, people in jobs, businesses. They want to see the best thing happen now. And, um, you know, these are going to be tough negotiations, and no doubt there will be disagreements. But that is not the central point. The central point is that the party is now... I'm I'm not a member of Parliament anymore, so I don't... Attend. I can't tell you what's going on, but uh, my judgment is that the Tory Party is united now, um, leavers and remainers, in getting this done and making the very best of it. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Let's have a look at what else is making the news in the world of politics. We've got to start with the UK Department of Health confirming two cases of coronavirus in England. It's got here. 194 people were tested. Now two are being treated in a specialist unit in Newcastle. The Chief Medical Officer Chris Whitty saying he's confident in the UK's ability to deal with the outbreak. He says the virus is a higher risk to older citizens, as you might imagine, and those with pre-existing conditions, and that he sees a mortality rate at 2%. That's been the, the rate that people have been seeing around the world um, now what's going on with the Scottish independence situation because that's an area of great frustration. Nicola Sturgeon, the Chief Minister of Scotland, has outlined the SNP's new plans for Scotland to become an independent country. She said Scotland is being taken out of the European Union against the wishes of an overwhelming majority of its citizens. Sturgeon added the nation's needs are no longer served by a broken, discredited Westminster Union and Scotland has a cast-iron democratic mandate for an independence referendum. But something tells me she's not going to get it, Lisa. Mm. For the moment. She is buoyed, though, by YouGov poll showing the first majority for Scottish independence. It's a small one, but it's there. The first one since 2015. Uh, but we've also got to talk about Ireland. The Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, uh, writing in the Irish Times, among other papers today, he thanks his fellow Europeans for standing by Ireland over Brexit, and they certainly have. Uh, and he calls for there always to be a place at the table for the UK if they ever choose to come back. Now, this is interesting. A piece in The Guardian from Timothy Gartnash, the European Observer, writing over many, many years. Headline is, we Remainers must now aim for Britain to do well, and the the EU even better. It's kind of a conciliatory line. But in it, now very interesting because we were speaking to Vince Cable earlier on, uh, we heard from him suggesting there might be a moment where Britain could rejoin. And Timothy Gartnash says, well, what about Britain rejoining the EU? This isn't on the agenda for today. It'll take five years to thrash out what Brexit actually means, another five to see how it works in practice. By that time, he says, there'll be a different EU. I very much hope, he says, that come 2030, the Brits will start to think of rejoining, not from a sense of failure and defeat, but rather from a sense of being clear about and more comfortable with who and where we really are. Yet that prospect also depends on the EU itself becoming more attractive and dynamic than it is today. Then and only then could the conversation credibly turn from Brexit to Brejoin. No, I don't think this is benign. This benign outcome is likely, he says, but it is possible. Pessimism of the intellect, optimism of the will, such is the perennial brief of the liberal realist. Expect the worst, work for the best. Oh, I think we need a better name than Brejoin if there's going to be any chance of that <laughs> succeeding. Nicholas Soames certainly wasn't convinced this was going to be a thing anytime soon. Uh, and then finally, after a few false starts, the, fi- the new... 50p coin, the Brexit 50p coin, officially comes into circulation today. Uh, that's ahead of, of course, our official departure later on. Three million have been minted to mark the day, and the inscription on the coin reads, Peace, Prosperity and Friendship with All Nations. And then you get another seven million entering circulation later this year. I've been doing a little bit of reading about how much these could be worth, um, and the consensus so far is 50p. Yes, well, exactly. And the trouble is, you put two of those together, you get a pound, and right now we're it's about 1.3 to the dollar. And that <laughs> might change rather dramatically. Now... Anand Menon from the Independent Brexit Research Group, UK in a Changing Europe, says there will be an impact on businesses trading with Europe. I think there will be problems at port, whatever the outcome. 
the government is going to have to face a bit of negative publicity because there will be log jams, tailbacks at ports, because actually there will still have to be checks. With Boris Johnson's deal, there will still have to be checks at ports. But for more, let's bring in Duncan Buchanan, Policy Director for England and Wales, the Road Haulage Association on the line. And we're here with us in the studio, the Chief Executive of the British Ports Association, Richard Ballantyne. Gentlemen, welcome both. Well, let's first uh, talk to Duncan about that issue to do with with getting things around the, the country, because that's or getting the things across to the other side, I suppose. First of all, to get to the port, we will come to Richard on that. To get to the port, you need the lorries all working. Do you think that things are going to be much more difficult for your members, Duncan, as a result of all this? Well, I think the first thing we need to do is we need to understand what we're talking about. Are we talking about the political Brexit that is happening today? Or are we talking about the regulatory and economic Brexit, which will happen on the 1st of the 1st, 21? Uh, In terms of today, the political Brexit is going to have no uh, impact on uh, the ports, on the uh, rules and regulations around international road haulage. So we will see continued flows today uh, as if we were still in the, in the EU. Uh, we are aware of some local misunderstandings uh, with enforcement uh, bodies in Europe who think that UK community licences will no longer be valid from, uh, uh, from the 1st of February, but that is not true, and the Commission is clarifying that. So let's separate out what's happening today, if you like, with... What will happen on 1121? Uh, your, your previous speaker outlined that there will be frictions and uh, requirements for processes for customs and whatever, and that there will be uh, impediments from 1121, and that is absolutely correct. Uh, every export and import will require customs clearances, inbound and outbound. Uh, there will be safety and security declarations. There will be further processes regarding. Uh, live animals, uh, food, and a whole range of other things. All of these processes will, will, will need to be put in place and operating perfectly if we're going to maintain fluidity. So, Duncan, you'll be very closely watching the trade talks as they play out over the next 11 months. What is the best outcome you could hope for from them? The, in terms of the processes for customs clearance and for, uh, for, for, basically for customs clearance, the trade talks will have no impact on that. There will be a requirement for customs clearance declarations, inbound and outbound, to and from the EU on both sides. That will happen regardless of the trade talks. The trade talks may result in certain things not needing to be done in relation to, say, food. Uh, So you may not need inspections for food or you may not need inspections for pallets and certain standards and what have you. But the basic customs clearance declarations will be happening. Oh. That's regardless of the negotiation. OK, well, let me pick all this up with, with Richard Ballantyne with us here. OK, so we get the stuff to the ports, the declarations we know are there that need to be made, the checks that need to be made. How is that going to affect the working of the ports? Well, uh, good afternoon, uh, everyone. And hello, Duncan. I think what Duncan was saying is absolutely correct. Uh, what the trade talks will be more so about is things like tariffs which uh, could be very important to certain aspects of our freight industry. But for the ports and to a certain extent, the freight operators like Duncan's members, it's rather um, academic. These are fiscal transactions. These will all be done on computers. Or yeah, something this well is done before, away from the yeah. board. It's not con- conditional on entry. So nice and smooth then at the ports? 
No, that's that is about tariffs in terms of customs declarations and other sort of bureaucratic checks and stops. Uh, the issue for the sector, for the port sector, will be about half our trade with Europe is via lorries. Uh, which is uh, a lot of it's facilitated by Duncan's members through roll-on, roll-off ports like Dover, Portsmouth, Holyhead, Immingham, and uh, there are many more. And if you want to physically stop and inspect or clear those lorries uh, for the uh, documents and the requirements which Duncan listed, uh, under traditional uh, measures, that would mean an awful lot of delays at ports. Uh, The government had a lot of plans to mitigate the impacts of a no-deal, but... Given the fact now we're in transition uh, and the focus is very much on a lasting deal, we're, we're waiting to see what the government suggests about how things will change on the 1st of, of January next year when all these requirements kick in. So all of these horror stories we hear about queues and queues and queues of lorries, is that a possibility at any point? Well, potentially, uh, I would say from the port sector at least, we are as prepared as we can be. And there's been a lot of planning and uh, investment at various ports around the UK. Uh, But some of the detail is still yet to be known. And quite how uh, Duncan's members and a lot of others in the sector, the freight forwarders, the importers, exporters, cargo owners, traders, etc., how they deal with the new arrangements is, is not clear yet. And whether or not the whole of the industry will be ready remains to be seen. All right, Duncan, let me pick up with you. With and What we're talking about there is, is the aspects of some kind of negotiated deal and the details that come for it. But what if, what if uh, there is no deal? What if uh, halfway through the year, no extension is granted, we get towards December, still there are very hard lines coming perhaps from Europe, and we reach the beginning of 2021 without a deal. How does that affect your members, Duncan? Well, uh, that, that will add to the complexity in that uh, that would imply a lack of cooperation between UK and EU authorities. Uh, there has been a complete lack of cooperation uh, between UK and EU authorities uh, up until now. They have been very much at arm's length. And one of the reasons why preparation for no-deal Brexit was so problematic is that uh, rules were changing and evolving uh, for businesses and what they had to do right up until the 11th hour. Uh, There is not the facilities, there is not the uh, agents, staff and the skills in the system to deal with uh, a a short notice Brexit. What we have now is we have the next 11 months knowing that there are certain things that need to be prepared for and also having cooperation between the authorities on both sides so that we don't waste our time on misinformation, so that businesses can know what they have to do from 1-1-21 to do customs clearance declarations and all of the processes that relate around that. Um, I can't reiterate enough that um, it's actually getting those document handovers, the data handovers, absolutely right, is going to be key. And that's not just the haulage companies, that's actually the traders are going to... Make, right. to make radical changes. And, and, and Richard, Boris Johnson has used some fairly incendiary language about business in the past. How convinced are you that he has the best interests of British ports at heart? Well, that's presumably not his core uh, interest, but um, he has been to a lot of ports, understands the mechanics 
uh, and has other things like Freeport Visions, which he's pushing. So I wouldn't say he's uh, he's dismissed our sector, but there are some consequences to this Brexit uh, deal, which will have impact at certain ports. Not all ports would say a lot of general cargo ports, container ports have systems in place where they can accommodate uh, customs controls. So uh, it's not going to be felt everywhere. So I'd like to kind of stress that. But equally, there will be completely different um, entities on the Irish Sea. So there'll be new arrangements between GB and Northern Ireland, which will require customs controls. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.